You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Right and wrong, who's to say which we should refuse? You're listening to The Ensemblist, the only podcast that shows you Broadway from the inside out. Welcome, I'm Mo Brady. In my conversations with the original creative team of The Addams Family, I was learning how the show was refined and restructured to become a success on tour and around the world. But this wasn't bridging the gap between these professional productions and the success the show has seen in schools and non-professional settings. So I reached out to the folks who were in charge of sharing The Addams Family with legions of schools across North America, theatrical rights worldwide. With a mission to cultivate and extend the production life of musicals to all theatrical marketplaces, TRW is responsible for licensing amateur productions of theatrical properties to student and amateur producers across the country, and, in fact, as their name suggests, the world. I spoke to Jim Hoare, their Executive Vice President of Education and Community Initiatives, about how the show became a part of the TRW catalog. A former high school theater teacher himself, He has directed over 100 shows in musicals, including the first high school production of Once on this Island and the world's first production of Les Miserables School Edition. Over the phone, Jim shared expert knowledge of what has made The Addams Family such a popular choice for amateur licensing. Here's our conversation. And now a boy says he adores She who once was yours how can I ignore such news? Would you introduce yourself and uh, tell us where you're calling from today? Hi, I'm Jim Hoare. I'm the executive vice president at TRW, Theatrical Rights Worldwide. Uh, we're located in Times Square, and I'm actually calling in now from my home out on Long Island. And what is Theatrical Rights Worldwide? I guess in terms of what a, what is a licensing house and then how is TRW, I guess, specific? Licensing companies control the live stage performance rights for all of the shows in our catalog. And uh, basically, our main responsibilities are, number one, I think most importantly, to, in, to protect the integrity of our author's works, making sure people do the show as written, prepare and make available all of the rehearsal materials, the scripts and scores, and any ancillary materials that might go, to long, go along with that, and then to collect the performance royalties from the performing groups and to pay those royalties to the authors. Some of the musicals that drive the engine at TRW are The Addams Family, Bright Star, Spamalot, Big Fish... Memphis, Ghost, Color Purple, uh, We Will Rock You, and then hopefully when the world reopens, The Prom. How long have you been in this field? I was a high school theater teacher and director for 31 years. Uh, I was also an adjunct at Long Island University. And uh, when Steve Spiegel was starting TRW in 2000, and well, five, he was laying the groundwork, he said, uh, would I come on board and help him start? He wanted to have someone in the educational field Um, in the company so we could address the concerns and needs of the educational community as well. So that sort of became my my job. That's my world is working with mostly schools and amateur theaters. So you've been working with TRW since 2006. When did the Adams Family come across your plate as a potential show to join your catalog? I remember going to see the show in 2010. I think it was the spring of 2010. 
every time I see a show, watch it from the perspective of a high school director. At one point, I'll, I'll watch a show and I'll say, well, all right, we can't do that one. Or I'll say, all right, this has got, it's checking off the right boxes. And I was, as I was watching The Addams Family, it did check off most of the boxes that I would want to check off in a great piece for high schools and for amateur community theaters. And a large cast with uh, quite a few ensemble opportunities. And any amateur director will tell you that they learn over time that the busier the cast is on stage, the less drama there is off stage. The more chorus number is the better for a school show. Uh, it had strong characters with numerous opportunities for girls because every school program has more female actors than male, but most musicals are written with more male leads than females. So when you see a solid group of female leads, that's a big plus. And in this one, having Morticia, Wednesday, Mrs. Beinecke, Grandma as a smaller featured character were great uh, because they were all strong leads with solos. I thought it had a good score and jokes that landed and music that young actors would enjoy singing. And then the most important thing for me when I'm scouting a show is I want to see a show with a heart. You know, there's no malice in the Adams family whatsoever. They're a loving family with an unusual worldview about life and death. You know, so for all of those reasons, I said uh, I was very much in favor of trying to acquire the Adams Family for our catalog. What does that involve? So you're very much interested in acquiring it. What's the next step? There's no one way that that happens. It's a matter of meeting with authors, explaining your visions for the show, your hopes for the show. Basically, the authors are the ones, it's their property. So they're the final decision makers as to where the show will live. And we were thrilled that they selected TRW. What other shows were part of the TRW catalog at that time? Spanalot, Jersey Boys had just been acquired. Uh, All Shook Up was huge. I guess I asked the question because I'm sort of wondering what your expectations were for the show. I was hoping that it would have a robust life in school theater, but never thought that it would have as big a life as it actually has had. There are about a thousand productions a year. So when did TRW start licensing the show to schools and amateur productions? And I thought the tour was originally going to go out for a year, but it became so popular that I think it stayed out for almost three years. The way the licensing works is when the national tour is out, the show is still restricted just as it is when it's on Broadway. Uh, and then as the tour decides that it is winding down, as it uh, leaves a certain geographic area, they'll say, okay, you can start licensing to amateurs. So it's a rollout, basically. And I remember the, the first high school that I dealt with uh, for the Adams families, a teacher in uh, Denison, Texas, Amy Jordan. She's a wonderful director with a great program. Amy called me and said, um, is there any possibility of spring of 2014? And I looked and I saw that the last stop for the tour was in Texarkana, which was about 100 miles from where she lived. But uh, I said, yes, you can do the show in 2014 because they're vacating Texas and now it's available. And Amy took her entire cast by bus for two hours to Texarkana, uh, which turned out to be a great experience because I have pictures from when her kids, they met the people in the tour who were playing the roles they were going to be playing. And, and the cast of the tour was great. Just, you know, very welcoming to them all, which was great. That's when we should smile. Was the show successful right off the bat in terms of getting lots of amateur productions, or was it a, a slow roll once the rights were becoming available? Because, here's, the, here's what happened, actually. Because we always create a notification list when a show is not available. I'll say to people, let us know 
we'll put you on the list. And as soon as it is available, and we separate that list geographically as a tour rolls out. So we have to wait until the tour company says, uh, you know, this is our last time in Texas or Washington State or whatever. But I would always know exactly where the tour was because I would come into the office on a Monday morning and have all of these emails from the same state. And there were emails from people saying, I want to be on the notification list. So by the time the tour ended, I had a thousand schools and community theaters on a notification list that all wanted to produce the Adams Family. So that's an immediate you know, success because uh, they just all started doing it. The biggest problem in some towns were two schools within a mile of each other wanted to do it on the same weekends, which is their problem, not ours. One was, I called first, don't let them do it. <laughs> Had you experienced this kind of... Um... That, that list and that kind of, I don't know, bidding or competition with other shows? No, other shows, as stronger schools would do a show, a lot of schools would follow suit. With the case of the Adams family, it didn't have to trickle down. Everybody just wanted to do it. And I had not experienced that before. So it was, it was really fun. In the very beginning, when people weren't sure what it was or people heard about the tour but didn't get to see the tour, um, I would say it's... Um, I would just say, oh, it's the Adams family you all know, except Wednesday is now grown up and she's fallen in love with a normal boy from Ohio and uh, take it from there. And then when people ask for more information, I think one of the things I first said after I saw the tour was it reminded me a little bit of it can't take, you, you can't take it with you meets Lacage, a normal family and a more unusual family, but the unusual family is actually more normal than the normal family, which is unusual meets uh, daddy and bringing a boy home tonight, please be normal. One of the things that Rick Ellis told me when we talked about the, the student productions and why it might be so successful with schools is it is about this teenage girl. You do have these this teenager at the middle of the action of this story, and that is a very relatable plot point for kids doing it. Absolutely. In fact, grandma's line... Uh, define normal. Uh, that has been used on buttons and t-shirts by schools quite a bit. That's the nice thing about the show is I've seen, I've at least seen 20 or more high school productions. They all have their own take on it. Some are cast better than others. Some have more opportunities to do high tech and others don't, but it always works because of that. Everyone can relate to family. Everyone can relate to tensions between teenagers and parents. Uh, and that, but this takes it in a really sweet and humorous kind of a way. And then a moment that everybody seems to love is when Gomez sings um, Happy Sad, because it's about growing up. In fact, one of the, I met a teacher once who said that when he directed the Adams Family in uh, the spring, a couple of years back, and the following summer, his daughter was getting married and they used Happy Sad as the father-daughter dance. <laughs> we should say that this level of success is not just happening in high schools in the United States. You're also talking about amateur productions in the States, and you're also talking about worldwide productions, right? Theatrical rights worldwide. Where have you seen the success of The Adams Family? Been in Czechoslovakia. It's been in Spain. It's been in South Africa. It's been Australia, um, New Zealand. Uh, and in the UK, it was actually released to amateurs first, and then there became a groundswell of interest. So let's be happy, forever happy, completely. T 
teachers tell me they love the show for all of the reasons I mentioned before. It's good opportunities for girls, large chorus. Parts are fun for the kids. You know, like they can relate. They can relate to the characters. The music is challenging for student pits, but not too challenging. So that the, the musical directors have said the score is really fun to play uh, and to teach their students to play, which I love. My favorite thing of seeing the show is after the show. When I meet a very happy cast of kids after seeing in very pleased audience. There's a lot of room for play. One school, uh, I, I heard this huge laugh. I was watching the production when the ancestors were coming out. And I said afterwards, what was the laugh with that, that ancestor? There was a woman like with a high bouffant kind of hairdo. And they said, well, in this district, there was a woman who's a secretary in the school, high school office who has been doing the morning announcements for 50 years. And she had this every Friday had a permanent, you know, her hair was done and she passed away. So one of the early ancestors was her. <laughs> That's great. It feels like it's in the world of the show. And yet it was obviously specifically for the community. They really responded to that. That's fantastic. Special thanks to Jim Hoare for sharing his stories with us today. The Ensemblist was produced today by Jackson Klein and me, Mo Brady. Please rate and review The Ensemblist wherever you listen to podcasts, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or at bpn.fm, the home of Broadway Podcast Network. Our Patreon members have on-demand access to our archive, including full conversations with our guests and early access to episodes. You can support us for between $5 and $20 a month at patreon.com slash theensemblist. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.